Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening today. Uh, today, we are wrapping up our sermon series, Walking Through the Tenth Commandments. Today, we are on commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet. Uh, this is actually an interesting command because it's one of those to where if we actually learn to follow, you're going to learn the rest of the commands kind of fall into place. And you may ask, what in the world do those other ones have to do with coveting? Well, you're about to find out. So we're going to kind of break this down on what it actually means to covet and why God does not want us to and how we can fix it, but also kind of explain the differences between jealousy, envy, and coveting. So I hope you enjoy this message. Um, we would love it if you would come join us one Sunday morning. We have services every Sunday at 11 a.m. here in Corbin, um, but also go to our website at www.17scc.com and you can actually watch our services live from there, get more information about the church and view all past messages and get some events and information about everything coming up. So again, thanks for listening. If you enjoy this message, I just ask that you would please share it with someone that may find it impactful as well. Again, thanks and enjoy. Uh, but anyway, guys, again, welcome. Thank you all for being here today. Mike is starting to get excited, church. You want to know why? We were heading to Lexington yesterday. We got off our street, and we were going down the road. Well, then a breeze came in, and leaves went everywhere. And I was like, woo. I think Jenna was like, it's happening. And she was getting really excited. Kentucky kicks off two weeks from yesterday, and, and in three weeks from today, the Packers will start their march to their fifth Super Bowl of many, many more. So it's a, Mike's just getting excited, church. You know, it's a, I can smell the chili in the air. It's coming. But anyway, I thank you guys again uh, for being here. Last week, I gave you some very, very difficult homework. I made this statement that I think it's the hardest thing I've ever asked you to do. And then especially, honestly, it may be some of the hardest stuff anyone's ever asked you to do. Last week, uh, we talked all um, about the idea of lying, and we talked about the idea of stealing a, a week before that, and we were on this whole conversation. Last week was all about honesty. So I challenged you with an honesty challenge. You can put this up on the screen. Last week... I challenge you to go seven days, to go one full week without gossiping, complaining, criticizing, blame shifting, any being defensive, boasting, lying, or deceiving. Did anyone succeed this week perfectly? I'm shocked. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> it was funny. At one point, Jenna was even picking on me on Saturday. She's like, you just preached on that. I'm like, I'm sorry. Church, there's a reason I gave you that challenge last week. The reason was this, is I knew that it was impossible for any of us to go a full week without doing that. But I know it was in your minds. Because almost all week I heard people make comments about, you know, complaints and criticize and, you know, the blame, all these little things like, well, there's another dollar. Because I made that joke about putting a dollar in a bucket every time you messed up and whatnot. People joked about this all week. And it makes me happy. It's because maybe this was the first time in who knows how long that you, it was in your brain that you realized that we're sinning every time we do these things. I'm going to challenge you again. Keep this stuff in your mind. Keep it. You should feel guilty when you do that. Because we talked all about last week on the sin and what happens when we don't. So I challenge you again, even this week, let's see how honest we can be. Let's live a life worth, worthy of what God has called us to live. We're, today we are wrapping up our sermon series, Walking Through the Ten Commandments. It's taken you know, a few months. Um, I've really enjoyed this series. I've really enjoyed diving deep in these commands. And the whole point of this series was really for us not just to talk about the commands, but was for us to realize we break them more often we, than we think we do. 
These commands all have this obvious truth. Yes, do not murder. But why was that what God wants us to do? And then we talked about why. But then we also got to the roots. Well, it doesn't just say don't kill. He says do not hate. He actually says, hey, love. We talked about, hey, don't just steal, but maybe we should give. Hey, do not lie, but hey, be honest. We've broken all this down. The whole point was for us just to realize we mess up church a lot more than we think we do. But it's okay. One last time, let's read through these commands. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. The Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt. I've said this every single week. God is now setting them free um, from slavery. They are on their way to the promised land. They're on their way to the land of Canaan. And on their journey, God gives them these ten rules, these ten commands. They are moral law. They do not change. They are the same today as they were yesterday, and they will be tomorrow. It's not like other Old Testament ceremonial law. We've talked all about that. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this is my request to you. This is what he says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them. Worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation, and those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That was one of my favorite sermons, by the way, in this series. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, and you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. These are the commands that we've talked about all week. Well, Mike, you left one. That's where we're going today. I've said this also every single week. These commands were broken into two categories. The first four are all about our relationship with the Father, while five through ten are our relationship with others. You know, it said, teacher, what's the most important command? Love Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love the neighbor as yourself. That is a summary of the Ten Commandments. And so today, let's wrap it up. Commandment number ten. But... There's something interesting about commandment number 10. I don't think it's number 10 because it's the 10th most important. I don't think it's number 10 because it just flows well off the tongue. I think it's number 10 because it's one of those that if we learn to follow, the other ones kind of fall into place. And today we're going to see why. It's almost one of those rules. You guys ever remember growing up, maybe mom and dad, they gave you just a few short rules like, hey, if you do this, you'll be okay. This is kind of one of those rules where it says God's like, hey, follow this command. You'll see the other things start to fall in place. Whenever I was in youth ministry, we would take kids on trips and adventures and all sorts of things. And, you know, we would always stand up and I would give them the rules of the trip. Hey, don't, you know, this, this is what I need you to do. And I remember I did this at camp this past year. I always just have one main rule. I'd have all the kids up there. I said, all right, guys, this is your rule. Don't be dumb. Ask yourself, every decision you're going to make, is this a dumb decision? 
And if you can follow that one rule, everything will fall into place. And I know it sounds silly and goofy, but it worked, by the way. We usually had pretty successful trips. Ask that question. Many of you know John Wooden, famous UCLA basketball coach. He kind of had his eight principles, pyramid stuff that we talk about. But he had three main rules to be on his team. Be on time, don't criticize a teammate, and don't cuss. That was John Wooden's three rules. I think a few more coaches could use those rules in, in today's world. But they're basic, easy things. And number 10 is one of those, if we follow it, we'll learn the others fall into place. The 10th commandment, Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In short, thou shalt not covet. That's the 10th commandment. Mike, I don't know. How does that have to do with the rest of them? Stick with me. Let's break this command down just a little bit. This is in your notes as well. According to the Oxford Dictionary, the word covet, it means to yearn to possess or have something. If you are coveting something, you are yearning to possess it and to have it. You want it bad. It's there. It's, I believe it's in your notes. You want it, you want it, you want it. When we covet, it means to yearn to possess or have something. That word yearn means to have intense feelings or longing. There's an intense relationship that's intense. You want it bad. You're along. You guys remember back in the dating days, and you know it's. Ooh, and it was like this. You couldn't wait till the next day to go into school to see your honey. I mean, it was. That was the longest eight hours of your life. You're like, oh, I gotta go. You know. You remember what I'm talking about? That's the feeling that we have when we covet. Usually, when we talk about this command, people like to use the word jealousy in there. Well, Mike, doesn't jealousy and coveting kind of go hand in hand? Eh, a little bit, but not completely. Because jealousy in itself is not actually complete sin. Look at this, Exodus 34. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Mike, there's things that we can covet, and then there's things that we can just be kind of jealous for. I'll give you a few examples. The other day, I was at Starbucks, the new Starbucks in Corbin. They're taking my money, church. I'm in trouble. It's been been three times in one week. I'm in trouble. I told Wednesday night I wasn't going again. It's already been a three. Um, I was at Starbucks waiting on my coffee, you know, just looking around. They were making it. And then, whoo, this truck pulled in in the parking lot. I just fully loaded Toyota Tundra. I don't even know what it was called, but it was shiny. And I think I could see myself, you know, like 100 yards away just in the reflection. I looked up online and saw the price. My eyes got even bigger. I was jealous of that truck, church. I want that truck. But I don't covet it because I'm not willing to do whatever it takes to get it. I'm not willing to, you know, mess up our finances. I'm not willing to, you know, hurt people. I'm not willing to do whatever it takes to have that truck. I'm jealous when I see pictures of people online or you go to the beach or whatever and you got those guys that are walking around all chiseled, you know, they got the abs and the muscles and, you know, I'm jealous. Man, that'd be nice. But I don't covet it because I'm not willing to do whatever it takes to have it. You see the difference? Jealousy can lead us to covet when it's not a healthy form, when it's overly indulged and it's all we think about, it's all we want and eventually it leads us to covet. And when we covet... We'll do whatever it takes. We'll hurt any relationship we have. We'll do whatever we can in order to possess that object, that idea, that thing, whatever it is. That's what coveting is. Here's the answer to this question. Do you struggle with coveting? I've asked this almost every single week on these commands. What about you? 
do you struggle with coveting? Or do you have a deep struggle with jealousy? There's no contentment there at all. Because unchecked jealousy will lead us to coveting eventually. It will lead there. Notice what I said. We covet more than just possessions. We also covet ideas. We covet way, things we want things. We'll do whatever it takes to get our way. I think that's pretty obvious on possessions. We're willing you know, make, you know, mess up and make a lot of mistakes in order to get something. But this goes with our ideas as well. Think about this maybe on the political side. You know I don't talk a lot of politics, just as one of Mike's rules. But think about this on the po- political side. How many of us are willing to hurt however many relationships, however many people, just so our way can you know, make it through? Think about it on the church side. How many of us want our ideas out there so much that we're willing to hurt whoever, that way we can get our way? Think about it in your homes. Think about it at work. Church, we covet more often than we think we do. Do you struggle with coveting? Coveting is rooted in selfishness. We've talked about this a whole lot these past few weeks. That when we're selfish, we don't care about anyone else but ourselves. When we covet, we're never satisfied. We're never content. We don't care about what anyone else has or does or thinks or does or whatever. We want our way to win. We want the item. We want the thing. We want it, and we don't care what we have to do in order to get it. We actually have a contentment problem, church. I think that's, I don't think many people would argue with me. Especially here in the United States, we have a problem with being content. Many of you know John D. Rockefeller, great tycoon. When he died, he was worth $1.4 billion. At the time, whenever that, whenever that was, he was 1.5% of the entire U.S. GDP. That's a lot of money. Now his family is worth about $360 billion. You notice the crazy amounts. Well, there's a story that, went, that one day his secretary was talking to him. He's like, hey, Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his response was, just a little more. We have a problem with contentment. Church. I don't think this is in your bulletin, but do you have a problem with contentment? Because when we're not content, we become jealous. When that jealousy is not checked, then we yearn, longing, want. Before you know it, you're coveting. You'll do whatever it takes. You'll hurt whoever you have to. You'll lie. You'll steal. You'll do whatever you need to do to get it. You have a problem with contentment. Psalms 34.10 says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. But we don't act like that's true, do we? We don't act like we don't lack any good thing. Lack of contentment leads us to covet, which is a life full of sin. Colossians 3, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Jealousy, coveting, and envy are all kind of related here, church. About envy. What about this? I don't think this one's in your notes, but it's on the screen. Envy, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's a feeling of being discontented or resentful, longing, and it's only, you're only aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Like you have no contentment with anything you possess, can do, or have. You only, you know, perk up whenever you see everyone else have what you want. That's what envy is, and it leads us to covet. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. James 3.14, a lot of scripture today. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, 
unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Church, we have a contentment problem. Do you struggle with coveting? Be honest. I know you've kind of seen maybe a theme through this series is a lot of us, I'll ask those questions, you're like, no. And then like halfway through the sermon, you're like, well, dadgummit, and just start erasing a little bit. <laughs> Do you struggle with coveting? Today's commandment, the final commandment, it's once again, you know, do not covet your neighbor's house, any of their possessions, or anything that belongs to them. But just as this commandment is with some of the other ones, you'll notice a theme that we've been doing is that God's not just telling us, hey, don't do this. He's also kind of quietly saying, hey, don't just, don't just not do this, but go and do this. Remember how we talked about hate and murder? It says, don't just not kill, don't just not hate, go love. Hey, don't just not steal give. Hey, don't just deceive and lie, but live a life of honesty. Maybe we're being told to do more here than just not want what other people have. Coveting has been around literally since the beginning of time. <laughs> we even see the word show up in the Garden of Eden. Look at this in Genesis chapter 3. When Eve was tempted by Satan to eat the fruit, he looked at the tree, and there she found, and she, there was this word that says that it was desirable to her. Look at this, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That word in there is actually can be translated to the word covet. She coveted. She wanted something so bad that she didn't have, even though she had everything. Do you guys realize that? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. They had eternal life. They had all the limited amount of food. They had love. They literally says what? Adam walked with God in the garden. Does anyone want to walk with God on a daily basis? He had everything he needed. Everything they needed. But it just looked too good. It was desirable. She coveted for it, so she broke it, and then look what happens there. We're kicked out of the garden, sin enters in the world, and now we're in this mess we're in here now. The grass isn't always greener on the other side, is it, church? We want it, we want it, we want it. But then we realize, <laughs> once you get it, brown, it's like your own. You want more, and we want more, and we want more. I have a contentment problem. Mike does. There, there's Mike's confession for the week. I have a problem with contentment. I always want more. I do. I was like, well, if I can just get this, I'll be happy. It's been like that since high school. I really struggle with possessions and things. That's just one of my personal problems. I'll be honest with you. Is it any of yours? Do this with me. Imagine a society that we live in where every person you met was content. I know it doesn't exist, but just imagine. What would life look like that we were all so selfless? There was no lying, no murder, no adultery, because if we were happy with what we had, we wouldn't want to take what other people have, by the way. You'll see if you can learn to not covet, if you can learn to be content, the other commands fall into place. Contentment makes you selfless. The whole point, we could have renamed the series, by the way, the, the antidote to selfishness. I don't know if you realize that. All selfishness is the root of almost all these commands, all these sins. And so the whole point is, well, how do we become more selfless? Well, contentment makes you selfless. 
obeying these first nine commands, it becomes much easier when we are content. God is enough. Ask yourself right now, you feel like the last few months you've been sinning like no, no, no one else. You've been struggling. You feel disconnected from God. You're doing everything wrong. It just feels like your world's falling apart. Answer this question. Are you content? I bet you're not. That right there is a fix to all these things. Sins against others fade away because you realize you're happy with them and their joys, even when you disagree. When we learn to not covet, these things fall into place. Look at this. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is, it law, is, it a, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. Do you struggle with coveting, church? Do you have a contentment problem? Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. That is where we can have our contentment. Let's kind of break this verse down. Corey, leave that one up on the screen for a few minutes. Let's look at this verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. There's a couple of different commands we can read in this one passage. Look at this. The first command is this. Keep your life free from the love of money. One could even add, and the worry of money. I think many of us maybe worry more because that kind of all goes together. The second command is to be content. Once again, we see that contentment is found in a well-ordered life, a life that has its priorities in place. If right now you're struggling, you feel like everything's, maybe it's just because you're not content with what you have and where you are. It messes up our motivation, it messes up our direction, and we don't know what we're going to do. But God gives us the motivation. Here's the motivation. Keep your life free from love and money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Our motivation in this life is a relationship of Jesus. Because if we have a full relationship with Jesus, it's impossible not to be content. So if you're struggling with contentment, maybe it's because we've not let Jesus in. Maybe the reason we're looking at everything and what people have and what they do and what they blah, 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 Maybe it's because there's something missing in us. We keep saying, I always like to think of our hearts as this, you know, it's this jigsaw puzzle. And we keep trying to shove everything in that spot. Nothing fits. But there's this one perfect Jesus puzzle that some of us are trying to cram stuff in and nothing's working. And we wonder why we're miserable. It's because we're not content. And we're not content because we're not allowing Jesus to rule and to guide our lives. I want to help a little bit. How can we be more content? How do we do that? How do we become more selfless? If you struggle with coveting, if you struggle with covet, if you struggle with contentment, this is what you need to do. Here's the first thing. If you're here today and you have not given your life over to Jesus, that's step number one. This isn't even in your notes. If you're here today and you've not made a decision that every single thing you do from now on is going to be to become more Christ-like and love others the way he loved people, that is your first step. There, there you will never find, there is no pretty Toyota Tundra that's going to fit that heart, <laughs> that gap, as much as Jesus will. Nothing will. That is your step number one. If you're listening online today and you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, which means you've not made a decision, said, I don't care what I have to do. I'm sick and tired of pleasing myself. I'm sick and tired of pleasing others. I don't care how much i got to do, blah, blah, blah. I just want to follow Jesus. 
that's your step number one. Well, Mike, I follow Jesus, but I still struggle. I'm jealous. I covet. I'm not content. Well, I'm going to give you some tips, and I'm going to warn you. These are not easy. Well, the first one's actually really easy. Do this. Well, first of all, look at this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you've not tried Jesus yet, if there's someone here today, someone listening, give him a shot. Well, Mike, I've chose Jesus, but I still struggle. Try these things. Number one, very simple. Change your dialogue. This is all out of, this is a Mike idea, and it's working for me. Instead of, whenever you got, and this is going to sound so basic and non-churchy, but it's, it's just, I'm sorry, it's just how it is. The next time you got to do something that you really don't want to do, instead of saying you have to do it, say you get to do it, out loud. Watch how much it will change your life. I did it this past week. I did this past week. Mark let me borrow his push lawnmower. Where I'm so thankful for you, Mark Davis. You're the man. But I miss my riding mower. I really do. <laughs> it's a lot more of a job. I did not want to mow the yard, church. You know what I said in the car? I was like, I get to mow my yard today. And like I almost got goosebumps. Because there's people who would kill to do that. And I've got to cook dinner. I get to make my family a meal tonight. Man, I got to go do this. I get this. I, I promise you that is the simplest advice I will ever give you, but watch what it does. I get to go to work today. I get to do this today. How many of you woke up today? I got to go to church today. I get to be in the God's house today. I get, I'm, it's small, but just try it. Just try it. Psalms 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy a safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The problem is, many of us, we don't have any delight because our whole lives are, I have to, I have to, I have to. No, you get to, church. Number two, do this. Again, I'm keeping it simple. Say thank you. Mike, that's not very churchy. Even When was the last time you thanked God for the little things? Every single Wednesday night, whenever we go through our time of prayer requests, if you've been here, you know, I always ask, does anyone see God move this week? Are there any answered prayers, big or small? Smaller, I, I did anyone see God move? And it's as little as, yeah, this little bitty thing. And it's cool just to see people get excited when God moves. When's the last time you told God thank you for the smallest of things? When was the last time you thanked God for your pillow? Go without it for a week, and then you'll be more thankful. When was the last time you said, God, thank you for this? Thank you for this. The problem is we only say thank you when we get the big things. And God's like, well, I'm, I'm going to stop giving you so much stuff if you don't start saying thank you. You ever think about it like that? We need to be more content. We need to say thanks. Tell God thank you for the little things. Try it. Okay, those two were easy. Here's the hard one. Leave your box. What box, Mike? That box is your comfort zone. When was the last time you stepped outside of what makes you comfortable in order to maybe help somebody? Well, Mike, I don't like doing that. It makes me uncomfortable. I know, that's the point. When was the last time you stepped outside of what you're used to in order to reach a hand, to help, and do whatever? You become so much more thankful and content with what you have when you get outside your own comfort zone. For example, a week from today is our back-to-school bash. I'm really excited about it. 
I know a lot of us, we just have a, it's a, it makes us nervous talking to people we don't know. The idea of serving, we're just not, we don't, it makes us uncomfortable, we don't like it. If that's you, I challenge you, come that night, eat a hot dog with someone you don't know. Some of you, that's a big step. I get it. And then when you start having a dialogue with a parent who can't afford pencils and paper, you'll realize how much more, how thankful you are for what you have. A few months ago, well, it's been almost a year ago, last Thanksgiving, you know, we did, we did an event where we collected a bunch, we had a love offering, we collected a bunch of money, and we went out one Wednesday night, and we just bought random people gas and groceries at the store. It was awesome. And maybe you didn't come because it made you uncomfortable. Ask those who were here and how much it made them feel blessed just to see people, how much 50 bucks will change someone's view on things. When's the last time you stepped outside your box, church? Take a step. It makes you thankful. I've been blessed. I've gotten to go on a lot of mission trips. We're hopefully going to take one next year, by the way. I've gotten to go on a lot of mission trips, and you just become so much more thankful when you see what other people have to deal with. Change your dialogue, say thank you, and get out of your box. Watch what Jesus will do with you. Watch. I know this through this Ten Commandments, we can probably go through, and I bet a lot of us can start feeling a little bit more guilty. Like, man, I, I struggle with this more than I realize. And we can start, you know, man, this, this was rough, and this and this and that. Well, I want to let you know that it's okay, because there's only been one person that's ever lived these commands to the fullness, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the only person that's ever lived these ten commands to the fullness. He's the only one that always followed them, but he's also the one that did the deeper things. He didn't just not do the knots, but he did the silent do's, the ones we've talked about every single week. He never stole, he gave. He never cursed, he blessed. He never was jealous, he gave. He always was there for other people. And it's, we have been challenged, church, to live like him. Does anyone want to try living like Jesus this week? Let's pray. Father, God, forgive us 